Welcome, welcome, welcome to Embracing the Gray with Vic and Kels, where we are here to challenge the all or nothing thinking when it comes to all things food, body, and mindset. And today I'm super excited to dive into this topic about deciding and being more decisive in our lives, particularly when it comes to the things that we say we want, and really deep diving into that difference between wanting and deciding. So how are you, Miss Vic? And how does this topic resonate with you? I, I'm excited to talk about it. Um, I didn't really think about it. Well, I didn't think about it until I started thinking about it. Um, more so just with like, I feel like I wanted things for a very long time. I wanted to recover. I wanted to have a healthy relationship with food. But it wasn't really until I like drew the line in the sand of like, oh, no, I'm going to actually do it. Um, And that you can waste a lot of time like wishing, wanting, like just, oh, this would be great. Imagining what it would be like. But really, like the deciding is that first step, that action. Um, And I yeah, I just think there's a lot to be said about this topic. So. 100%. Um, And just to kind of dive in, um, we had talked a little bit, the the reason I'm so um, passionate about this word decide, it comes from a Latin root word decidere, uh, which is a combination of two words. So de um, means off and kadir or side means to cut. So if you think, um, it can also in a sense almost mean to kill, like we think of the word suicide. Um, And so if we really break down the word decide, it means to cut off, um, to cut off everything except the things that matter most. Or if you're thinking about, because obviously we talk a lot about that, it's, it's about who you are becoming right? Mm -hmm. It's not just about the outcome. It's not just whatever. It's like, no, this is who I am choosing to be. And everything else gets cut out. And I, I think the hard part for a lot of us is we are terrified of making the wrong decision. And I'm speaking, you know, from experience and, and myself as well, and just getting stuck in that analysis paralysis, just, you know, unwilling to actually make a decision because it might be the wrong one and not realizing that not making a decision is actually a decision. Um, And it's, it's the biggest thing that's going to keep you stuck and wasting time. So for you, I'd love to know what were the things that you had to cut off when you decided to actually recover? And how did that how was that different from when you were, say, in treatment? Yeah. Um, so it, it's in, interesting as far as like the things that I had to cut off in treatment versus out of treatment. And I guess the irony is, is that like I had the most healing when it was like not in the treatment setting. A lot of it was cutting off potentially some of the things that were like taught or said or things that I have learned um specifically like around healing your relationship with food around body weight and like a lot of it for me was it, I mean I've mentioned this before but a lot of it was like I'm not going to just have a healthy relationship with food and like stay at a very unhealthy weight 
And I felt like I couldn't really like do the work that I needed to do like internally. And then like, as far as like my body weight without cutting off maybe the idea that like, I, I had to stay at, I mean, like that was kind of the, the, the thing that was kind of infused was like, you just have to be happy at that weight. And I'm like, I can't, like, I am miserable. I am like, I get up and I'm breathing hard. Like, I'm sorry, that is not, those two things for me do not mix. Like they, they are not, I cannot see it that way. And so it was almost having to like cut off the, I mean, we've mentioned it before, like the intuitive eating health at every size, like it doesn't have to be all one way or be all or nothing. And that was something I had to cut off was just that like all or nothing thinking, like I can just walk the, the middle line. I can walk the middle path and be okay with that. Um, and, and then a lot of other things were just like, I had to kind of like put my head down and work. I, I mean, I have friendships, but like, I was really just trying to like focus and be like, this is kind of just like working time. Um, now I had lots of fun, not to say that I didn't do anything fun, but, um, it was almost just kind of like a season of just, just doing me and not being concerned about like what other people might think. Um, something that's been kind of stirring in me was like, um, like people are concerned about you when you're overweight, like they want you to lose weight and then you start losing weight and they're like, why did you do that? Or why did you like, like, why did you do it that way? There's another way. And it's like, well, you wanted, you, you were concerned about my health for so long. Like people, like there's always going to be an opinion. Um, and I was listening to a podcast the other day, literally about the same thing. And I was like, oh my gosh. So yeah, just cutting off the opinions of what people might think is the right way, but kind of just defining that path for myself and knowing like, I have to just do something like the inaction is an action. Yeah, no. And it's so interesting that you brought that up. It's, that's been something that's continues to, um, be a story. And I, it, it's this idea again of acceptance versus apathy. And I remember that was something that you and I talked about, like the first day we met and you're like, you're not going to like it. You're going to say it's wrong. Like, but I want to lose weight. And I'm like, why would I say that that's wrong? <laughs> like, And you were probably the, I, you were the first person that was like, that was on the side of like healthy relationship with food, body, mindset, all of those things. And said, like, you almost allowed the permission of like, you can do that. Like, why yeah. wouldn't you be able to? And I'm like, I've been sitting in like spending thousands of dollars in treatment and I'm just supposed to be at this weight and like get healthy. Now I did have to like put that time in beforehand of like, I couldn't even like eat on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. I was just like, there was, I did have to do the work in that time, but it, it just, for somebody that is very all or nothing, like it's very easy to just kind of go down that mindset. Absolutely. And I, I think like that's the biggest, it, it's kind of interesting, right? Like, cause we're talking about all or nothing thinking and, and not, and then part, like when we say decide, like mm-hmm. I can really see somebody being like, I've decided this is who I am. And they get stuck in that all or nothing all over again. Um, but it's kind of just realizing like it's making a decision, but still giving grace and compassion along the way. Um, 
and just recognizing like again just just like you had decided to try Octavia for a little bit and then it you know but like the biggest thing it wasn't that you decided on Octavia you decided that you were ready to actually do something about your weight correct but like because you were making different decisions then you were able to pivot it doesn't mean that this has to be the one and only, I think it's getting really, really clear as to what the final outcome and like what it is that you're wanting to feel and wanting to do. Like you knew that you wanted to lose weight, but you wanted to do it in a sustainable way and realizing that Octavia wasn't it, but that, and I think that's the biggest thing. Like, I I think so many people get stuck with thinking that like, okay, if I want to lose weight, then I'm going to have to be obsessive. And I'm going to have to track everything and it's going to take over my whole life. And so either like your perception is, well, I don't want to do that. And so why even try? I'll just stay here because at least like this is miserable, but at least I know what I'm getting. It's familiar, right? Or they like, they like, so they either won't try or they do try and they do obsessively and they don't do it in a way that is sustainable and they end up hurting themselves. And I think you and I are just like, no, there's a third option. I promise. (laughs) Yeah. And I was listening to this guy yesterday. He does like OCD and anxiety recovery type stuff, but he was talking about this and he was saying like, I mean, when you're saying you just want something, you are implying that you don't have it and you're Uh telling conscious that you don't have it and that there is something lacking. And so even if like I didn't have the results that I wanted and I didn't have, I wasn't where I wanted to be. Like I am recovering. I am losing like, and that is, it's, it's just that layer that like we cannot tap into like our, our subconscious, like it's really interesting to think, okay, well, if I was to change the vocabulary of like, okay, I am recovering instead of like, I have an eating disorder or like yes, or any of those things, like how that really does shift and how you're literally telling, I mean, when he said it, I was like, oh my gosh, like this is it. Like I cannot tell myself that I'm not well, that I'm not any, yes. any of those things. Oh my gosh. So this kind of actually like, that's a perfect segue into like the Seligman's hypothesis. Um, and like, I, I love this. Ex- well, I mean, I don't, the experiment is highly unethical, but <laughs> um, there's a scientific experiment that was done um, in by Martin Seligman in 1967. And it was with dogs. And so um, there was a part where like the experimenters had physically picked dogs um, that they, what they would do first is they had dogs that had a shock collar on. And so that anytime like a bell would ring, the shock collar would go off. So it was kind of like Pavlo's experiment of like, you know, dogs mouths would start salivating whenever they'd hear the bell because they were getting a treat or whatever else. It's, it's the basic classical conditioning, right? Um, But they kind of did a different experiment then where they had certain dogs that they would put the shock collar on and there, there was no way for them to get out of it or for them to stop it. And they just kind of, what they did is they learned helplessness. And so they had different dogs that they would take 
um, then for the second part of the experiment, and they put them in a box where half of the box floor was shocking and the other half was, was not. And all they had to do was jump over this little uh, barrier or this little, I don't know, I guess, yeah, a barrier, like a tiny wall, very easy for them to hop over in yeah. order to stop being shocked. So they had a control group of dogs where they would bring them onto that floor and, and they would easily, the moment they started being shocked, they would jump over the wall and be like, no, 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 I'm not for any of this. Like I, this is stupid. But the ones that who had had, who had learned helplessness, who had learned that there was nothing they could do to stop the, sh the shock collar, when they put those dogs in this box and put them on the floor that was shocking them, rather than finding a way to just hop over and escape it, they literally would just lay down and take it and just continue to sit and be repeatedly shocked again and again and again. And like, it's so sad, like when you think about it and like, but it's, it's so this idea, um, you know, of, of understanding like learned helplessness is this idea that we just sit in that uncomfortable, um, sometimes physically harming stimuli because it's all we know. And uh, the other yeah. thing about learned helplessness is it's based on the past. Like these dogs yeah. are because they're being shocked right now. It's because they were being shocked in the past. And it's like, are you going to just live there? Or are you actually going to live in reality and base your actions and the thing you're deciding on what's actually happening? Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's, it's how we believe that we are victims to our circumstances. Yeah. And like, again, I, I, I know we all have different circumstances. We all have different things, but it's so interesting, like, and I have to kind of remember this even for my own self, because there is things, there are still things in my life where I defend my own limitations, where I keep reminding myself of past experiences that were pretty traumatic for me and keep telling myself, well, that's just who I am. Mm -hmm. And it's in those moments when we have to take like that 10,000 foot view and be like, no, no, no. That does not have to be true for me. I do not have to be somebody who has an eating disorder. Yeah. I am not someone, you know, I am not a binge eater. I am recovering. And, and that is something where like, um, sometimes we'll say I am becoming as well. So we're huge into mantras and affirmations, um, but it has to be something that you can believe. So like, it would be a big jump to say, I am recovered, you know? <laughs> But to say, I am recovering, like then we act consistently with who we believe we are, right? I am becoming somebody who is works out consistently. I am becoming a person who meal preps on a regular basis. And when you can put your mind in that sense and have that affirmation, then you're able to kind of take more actions that are consistent with that belief. Yeah. And I think that just like with like, oh, you know, these little habits, they're not going to change much. Like it can be easy to say like, oh, these are just like semantics. Like I can, I mean, I am recovering versus I am recovered versus like any of those things. I mean, you could just say like, oh, those are just a change in words, but it's really, it might not be like important to like your current state, like your awareness right now. But it is important, like when you are in that like autopilot, like 
what am I going to do? And I think that with the deciding versus wanting, like deciding you've already like decided on which out or like which step you're going to take. And it's really just making that path of like what your next action is. And so I don't know how to explain it other than like when, when I was thinking of like healing my relationship with food, I decided that I was going to have a healthy relationship with food. And so to the best of my ability, my actions lined up with something about lined up with something that with somebody that had a healthy relationship with food would do. So like they would at a regular time on a regular basis and they would have variety and they wouldn't just stick to like chicken, rice and freaking broccoli, mm-hmm. no salt, like any of those things. And so I, those things were kind of already there for me. It was just really the execution. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when you take the, the, I really, it's like the brain power out of like, am I going to binge or am I going to have a meal? And it's like, well, no, I have a healthy relationship with food and that's what I'm working towards. So of course I'm going to have a healthy meal. Like it's, it's taking, it's now you just executing instead of you going back and forth in your head. It makes such a difference. And I, I swear, this is why it's the first step in our freedom method is to find your why. Mm-hmm. And way too often, the why is to lose weight. And I'm telling you guys, or to ch- or to change your aesthetics in some way, or to fit back in that dress, or whatever else, that is not a sustainable enough why. It is not a, it is not an identity. It is an outcome, and so we have to focus on. I'm not somebody who's on a diet, right? Because that's the problem. That yeah. is the issue. So many people identify. I am. I am a dieter. I am on a diet. I am trying to lose weight. Right? I'm a chronic dieter. Well, what kind of actions are you going to take if you say you're a chronic dieter? Exactly. You're on path and then you're off path. You know what I mean? Like you're 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 doing it great and then you fall off track and you start over on Monday and now you're doing this diet and you're da 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 da. Like you're acting consistently with who you believe you are. You believe you are a dieter which is actually one of the hardest things for our clients to go through is they go through this identity crisis. Sometimes they're just like, but who am I if I'm not dieting? Who am I if I'm not trying to lose weight? And notice again, like Victoria and I are not against you wanting to lose weight at all. Like we are supportive of body autonomy and whatever it is that your goals are. What we are saying is you have to shift your identity from someone who wants to lose weight from somebody who is dieting to somebody who has a healthy relationship with food and knowing that if your primary goal, your primary why is to have a healthy relationship with food, that your body and your weight will be a natural byproduct. But when losing weight is the primary focus, you are far more likely to put your mental physical, emotional, even spiritual health at risk for that outcome. And when instead your focus is to have a healthy relationship with food, now you're more focused on the actions and casting a vote. Like, what would this person do? How can I act as if I am already this person with the results that I want? Mm -hmm. And going into Mr. James Clear, 
um, I screenshotted one of, one of his posts the other day and he said, I mean, this is like after, after you do the deciding, um, the more you repeat a behavior, the more you reinforce the identity associated with that behavior. And in fact, the word identity is originally derived from the Latin words, um, essentitas, which is means being and identitem, which means repeatedly. So your identity is literally your repeated beingness. And I just loved that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to read Atomic Habits again. Cause it's just like mic drop after mic drop. I know. Uh, <laughs> but I just, I absolutely love that. Love it, love it, love it. Yeah. So I guess in the deciding, like once you cut off the things and you start doing the things that are kind of left over, like just keep doing them and they're going to just start to become part of who you are. And it's going to be a lot easier to, like you just have your lines in the sand and like people are going to be more aware of your lines and um like your i mean we we were going to touch on like boundary like people mm-hmm. are going to be more aware of your boundaries and like like people aren't engaging in diet talk when they're around me cuz they know that like that is harmful or mm-hmm. that that is like not going to be conducive to me being healthy those types of things so but it came by you having you know, the courage to, to explain that or express that to people or to express and communicate that boundary with people. Yeah. Um, which is, which is really, really huge. Um, and I, I think that that, that really is a big deal. Like if I am somebody with a healthy relationship with food, these are the ways that I, I conduct myself and, and these are the ways that I protect myself. And, and I really do think that again, like we are the like our, our environment matters, obviously our physical environment, but really our social environment. And I know that that really was like a big thing too, was you being around other people that were wanting that food freedom and were wanting to support you in that journey that you could talk to when you had those urges, when you had those cravings, when you had those moments, especially at the beginning when this identity is still new and you haven't built up enough of your own evidence to prove to yourself that this is the type of person you are. And like, it's really important that we are around people that normalize the behaviors that we want to um, adopt because that's how we, we all have that, you know, that need for that sense of belonging. And so I, I mean, for me, like I think of sometimes like when I really made a decision to do something Um, say particularly like going into this business, like it was when I made an investment and I invested in a a community and a mastermind of other entrepreneurs, of other health focused entrepreneurs who were wanting to make a difference, wanting to work online. I had no idea what I was doing. No one else in my like physical environment had any idea how to like, what you want to work online? Like, isn't that just like, oh, you know what I mean? Like they just didn't understand it. Um, and so being able to be around a community of people that believed it was possible, mm-hmm. believed in me, who encouraged me, who, um, showed me the step-by-step on, on how to make it a reality was massive. And it did come in a place where like, I made a big financial investment in the sense that this is me drawing a line in the sand, that there are no other options for me. This is the life I want to live. This is the impact I want to have. And I'm going to make it happen because I know, I know I can. 
and I, but it, it was so scary. Yeah. And I think that like, just saying that you want something is offering the, the potential that like, you're not gonna achieve potentially what you actually want. Like I, I remember like in college, just, I mean, there would like nursing school will weed the, the week ones out. Like it'll just like, we would just see people drop like flies when things got hard. And like, somebody had asked me like, how do you like, how are you just like, you just like, know you're going to pass. And I'm like, I literally have no other, like, I, I don't have any other option. Like I, I have my, I was so blessed to have, like, my parents gave me the opportunity to go to like the, the, the college that I've always wanted to go to. And like, my, my dad was like, Victoria, you have four years. Like, I understand that you're in college, but like, these are your four years. And, and if you decide to mess that up, then you don't get those four years. And so Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't have any other option other than to pass. And so it was like, it, again, I decided that there was no other option than I'm going to finish nursing school in four years on whatever May of 2020. And every, all of my actions, then it was all in line with that, that end date of like, okay, well, am I going to go to the party or am I going to go study? Well, if I need to finish nursing school, I'm going to go study. Yeah. And so it was kind of just like things that were already, again, like these things were already in place and I just had to execute them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know, that was like minus like recovery. That was something that I'm just like, I really truly did decide. And like, no matter how hard it got, no matter how late the nights were, early the mornings were, I was crying. I was upset. Like I still was like, no, this is what I'm going to do. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I think it's important and I encourage any of our listeners think about a time that you've achieved something mm-hmm. and think about what was different about your mindset and from where it is now when you're wanting to achieve whatever it is that you're looking to achieve now. And I mean, I, for me, one of my biggest things was like, I was going to live around the world. I was going to travel internationally. And I decided, like, I just, I decided I was going to move to New Zealand and it was really strange. I didn't really have a plan. I didn't even, but I just knew that this is what I wanted to do. And I was, I, things unfolded. I think one of the the things that, um, in our retreat that we just had, one of the kind of takeaways or the mantras that we had is things just always work out. They mm-hmm. always work because they do. And so stop like panicking about it and, and having all this anxiety and just like decide that this is what's going to happen or decide that this is, you know, that you're going to go for it and then trust that things will unfold in the way that they are meant to. And that's exactly what happened with my travels to New Zealand and India and Thailand and going all through Europe. Uh, Like I think about like the Camino de Santiago. I had no plan. I didn't know what I was doing. I literally bought my ticket to Portugal and I arrived. I didn't know like that I needed a special passport. I didn't know that there was like, I didn't know anything. I just knew follow the yellow lines. And every single day I just like made, made it up. But I decided that this was the adventure that I was on, that this was what I was going to do. And it's anything that's been super rewarding in my life was when I decided without a shadow of a doubt that this is what I was going to do, whether I knew exactly how to or not. And I just let it unfold. And it's been amazing. So I I think like, I encourage you guys, what are some things in your life when you look back, like when I learned to ride a motorcycle, 
Like I bought a motorcycle, had no idea how to ride, but I'm like, I'm going to do this. This is what I want to do. And like, I don't know, two days after, like I got it and whatever else, um, and got my license for it. Then we, we took it on a thousand mile road trip to Colorado. Like those epic moments in my life were when I decided on something, even when I, it seemed silly to anybody else, but I just knew it in my gut. You know, those feelings. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like maybe reflecting on those moments and then having like a, a list of what would somebody that just wants something like think of a specific situation. So like if I wanted to have a healthy relationship with food and I was wishing it and I like, what would that type of person do versus the person that has decided that this is like, this is it. Like they have no other option of like, there will, there is a point where, I mean, I was at that point last year of like, I will not be, I know that if I like am on my deathbed, I will say like, I wish that I would have worked on this. Like I, I, I specifically like something that was really interesting to me was in most treatment places I went to, I was the youngest person. Yeah. No. And I, it freaked the ever living shiitakes out of me. Like I, I remember I had a really nice, a dear friend in treatment and like, she was a psychologist and she worked for a huge college. And I just was like, like, I just, I couldn't compute it in my head. Like a lot of nurses, a lot of, um, older nurses, like retired. And I just was sitting there like, it hurts like it, and they would tell me like, just work on this right now. Like do it, yes, do it, work on it now. And hopefully you don't have to get to that point to be told those things, but just that, that thought of like being 60 years old and still having to struggle and carry that. And if you are 60, like the hope that I saw in these ladies of like, I'm breaking this. Like I, I have like, you know, had to go through this for a long time, but like generationally, like I'm breaking this, I'm going to teach my grandkids to have a healthy relationship with food. I'm going to not talk negatively about my body. Like, and to see that, like seeing both sides of it from those ladies, it was, it was like life-changing and also just a wake up call for me, I think. Ah, which is such a huge thing. Like, I, I, I don't care what age you are. Like we just had a retreat and the average age, I mean, was uh, mid forties to even mid sixties. And it was beautiful to be with these women for a week and to, to just realize like, we're all on different walks of life, but we all have like this same experience and the same journey. And for me to be a part of, like you said, breaking generational trauma, like around body image. And especially when we have silly articles coming out about how like heroin chic is now back and like our bodies are fashion trends or whatever else. And like, the more voices that we can have speaking out saying that our bodies are not meant to be a trend. Our bodies are always going to kind of change and shift and, and they're beautiful. They're able to give birth and they're able like, and aging is beautiful. What a gift um, that you're able to, to get to that point. And the more that we can help more women, because it's so sad. I just recently had a 14 year old girl reach out to me and she's just like, Hey, I, I don't know. Like I'm scared to eat in front of people. I, I will starve myself. And then I lose all control. 
I lose all control with food and I, and, and to the point that I'm sick and I don't know what to do and I don't know where to go and I don't like my body. And I'm just like, this sucks. Like, mm-hmm. and that you and I both know that like, we've like, it, it starts so early. And a lot of times it starts because our parents or our grandparents were, you know, have this, this conditioning that like, we need to look a certain way, or we need to eat a certain way or, or whatever else. And the more voices that we can get for people to understand that the way that we look is the least interesting thing about us, that we are so much more than our bodies. Um, because that, that's where all of this, the struggle with food comes from is putting so much value on our physical appearance and on the size of our bodies. If there wasn't so much um, just pressure. Yeah. Yeah, I listened to this um, this girl on TikTok the other day. I probably will never be able to find it again, but she was like, um, she was like, yeah, so I grew up in a house, like she was like, I'm not like a quote unquote, like skinny girl. Like I grew up in a house where like, there was no emphasis put on my body. We didn't have scales growing up. Like I never heard my mom once comment, um, food was fuel, like food was to enjoy. And I was just thinking like, oh my gosh, like what, like how, how different of a worldview you would have if that was the, you know, environment that you grew up in. And she was like, I literally, she was like, my mom, I guess one day decided that when she was in her twenties, like, I'm just going to be a hundred and 40 pounds or whatever she like made up a number and she's like that was just the weight she told everyone if she went to the doctor oh 140 (laughs) like oh like 140 it's like honey like you're 40 years older like still 140 and so it was just funny she was like my mom just assigned some random number and just lived her life whether she was 40 pounds over over that or 40 pounds under that she just kept going and I was like that was just it was like a light-hearted interesting funny way to think about it when it's easy to get like really caught up on a number Mm -hmm. Um, and then just really that girl just the the way that she was talking about food and her body and body weight all of those things it was just refreshing to be able to see that and like yeah it was just it was interesting I'll have to see if I can find it it oh was it a tiktok Mm-hmm. I think um, I had one of my clients send me a TikTok of this girl talking in the car about how about some of the things like yeah. that her mom had just like had gone to therapy or counseling and just decided she was not going to talk about her body. And like, it's so fascinating. I like so at the retreat, my mom had come out. Um, so it was in Arizona and she was awesome and had like, you know, got a stain out of my pants because moms are amazing. <laughs> And like, she came up and she like brought some, like some, you know, snacks and stuff for the girls. And anyway, but it was just, it was, it was interesting for me to watch her. We're very, you know, um, very aware of food talk. And we had just had um, a whole presentation from a registered dietitian, all about how to make peace with food and talking about, you know, diet culture and all these things. And then my mom comes in and like, we had just been baking freshly baked cookies. They were, oh, I saw those. those look so oh, good. it was so awesome. Joyce did Joyce yes, she yeah, did. Oh my gosh, Joyce. And she did this whole kind of talk beforehand, like while she was making the cookies, talking about how this program has really helped her rediscover food as love. And just being like this beautiful part of a life experience and the way that she like, 
you know, shares love and, and she gave us like her little tidbits and secrets about, you know, how she makes these cookies. It was awesome. It was so much about that retreat was incredible. Um, but anyway, my mom did come out and like, we were, you know, we had extra food or whatever else. And the first thing my mom says, like out of, <laughs> I was like, oh, I, I, you know, I do low carb. I, I can't like, I, I can't eat those things. I, no, no, no. Like, and she like had brought us apples and she's like, I really like they're, I like these apples because they're like only this many grams of net oh. carbs or what, like just going all out and like, and my, my, my group was very respectful and very kind. And I, and we understand, like, I love my mom dearly, but it was just so hard to then like, also she stayed for a little bit and then to just watch her like go and like eat French fries, like and go and, and eat like, and did eat cookies and did, and the whole time just being, oh, I shouldn't, but you know, oh, and, and like, yes. I know what's going on in her head. Yeah. I know, Ugh. I'm just watching. It's not enjoying the food. It's not enjoying the moment. It's, no. it's feeling guilty. It's, it's saying like, and everything was coming from a place of, of it, it is whether she knows it or not. It's like a defense mechanism of just like, uh, it's it's just it's hard for me and realizing like this is this has been somebody I've lived with my entire life and it really did have an impact on me and, and nothing against her it is my responsibility it is she did the best that she ever could with what she knew at the time and I was given the perfect parents for who I am meant to be now I am who I am now because of her and because like, and I'm so incredibly grateful and thankful, but it is just interesting to see the impact. Yeah. Well, and like, I think even when, I mean, I don't know if you like said anything or like, it was just like her, her comments going into the, the abyss of silence of that, like, but I do think that even even like with that environment like I hope that that made her think like why like all these ladies are enjoying cookies like just just giving that like challenge um sometimes of kind of exposure therapy without <laughs> like knowing you're walking into it but um yeah it just makes me sad just because obviously that you have evidence of like for yourself and for other women of like, you can tackle this. Like, this is not something that you have to be in for, for the rest of your life. And, and it really is just like the power of like you being able to choose and thinking it's just the learn helplessness over and over again. Like we're thinking that that's just how it's going to be for the rest of our lives. And we're just going to be there and just take it. And I guess. Yeah. It's just easy to, to, and it makes me sad. I'm just sad. That makes me sad. I, it's it just so hard. Sad. I know. And I mean, like, it's, it's just things that they've learned and, and it, you can't, you can't help anybody who isn't really looking for your help and yep. um, who, and it, it's hard. And, but part of it is because I know that she has this belief that she's somehow um, a special like snowflake. a snowflake right and we we hear this all the time that like my no you don't understand my body like no I, I if I eat like and it's that self-fulfilling prophecy if I eat carbs then I'm just 
I'm going to lose all control or I'm going to balloon up or like, I can't do that. Like my body is different. Um, or, or just believing that she is forever going to struggle with her weight or believing that she's forever going to struggle with food or believing that she has to eat this certain way. And it's just, it, and it's whatever it is, what it is. And it's not, it, again, it's my, all I can do is let go and support and, and, um, but also I, I have to have boundaries with myself. Mm-hmm. and protect myself and, and make sure that, you know, um, if we're, you know, just, just be there and remind myself of who I am and what I'm trying to do. And that I don't want to be in my sixties, terrified of a cookie or mm-hmm. beating myself up for, for going over to a, like the holidays are coming up, which brings me to, um, yeah, I, I have a masterclass coming up everybody. So um, it's called how to have freedom with food. And it is the four steps to break free from the all or nothing cycle so that you can actually be consistent and enjoy the holidays Mm -hmm. and your life um, (laughs) without self-sabotaging and without obsessively worrying about food and your weight because you deserve it. So if you'd like to learn a little bit more about that, we will put a link in the show notes. I think by the time this actually goes live, it will be on Wednesday, the 16th. So you can join us on Wednesday, the 16th. Um, and, uh, if nothing else, we'll also send out a replay, but definitely join us. You deserve, we'll give you a little bit more of the, how to the four steps to have freedom with food over the holidays beautiful and maybe we can touch on a few holiday yes holidays those fun things that would be perfect because by the time the next one goes out it'll be the week of thanksgiving beautiful that's perfect all right everyone have a lovely lovely um rest of your week and then um link to master class uh affirmations and all of those links, as well as the quote that we mentioned, yeah. will be and the Seligman experiment. And the, yes, the dog experiment. Yes, in case so. you want to check it out. So thank you guys. We love you. Have love an you amazing guys. week. Lovely rest of your week. Bye.